Come and draw near to you because you have first drawn near to us through your Son. We pray this in His name. Amen. Uh, do, you have, do you ever have uh, forgetful moments? You know? well, remember where you left your car keys? Uh, do you forget to run errands? Or maybe you forgot, you know, you walk into a room and you forgot why you walked into the room in the first place? Have you had that moment, had that experience? Some people call those uh, senior moments. Have you had a senior moment? <laughs> or we can, we can also forget more important things like uh, birthdays, uh, husbands, when's your wedding anniversary? <laughs> Do you have to answer that now? <laughs> Forgetting that could get you into a lot of trouble. Uh, we struggle with forgetfulness in spiritual matters as well. You know, in the Old Testament, one of Israel's greatest problems was their forgetfulness. They would forget what God had done for them. They would forget who they are as God's people. They would forget how they are related to God, how they belong to God. So we often need reminders of the truth. You know, this, is why, uh, this is why we celebrate Reformation Sunday. This is why church history is so helpful. You know, learning from the past shows us what it means to be faithful to God in the present. You know, looking back, as we stand on the shoulders of giants, giants of faith in the past, helps us to see the way forward more clearly. As the saying goes, those who 
do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Now, today we're taking a short break from our regular sermon series in Acts to look at a, another passage of Scripture in 2 Peter, chapter 1. And we want to mark the Protestant Reformation, lest we forget history and its lessons. Now, you might wonder, was the Reformation a good thing? You know, some say we shouldn't celebrate the Reformation because, you know, why are we celebrating something that led to the division of the church 500 years ago? You know, of course, we shouldn't be happy about divisiveness. You know, division should grieve us. But if we sorrow over the loss of unity, you know, how much more should we sorrow over the loss of the gospel? Because only the true gospel can bring true unity. You know, this is why we celebrate the Reformation, because the gospel is precious, and because the Reformation was essentially about the rec recovery of the gospel. You know, Martin Luther said many years ago, the church's true treasure is the gospel. And this is why 500 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the church door in the German town of Wittenberg. And Luther was calling the church back to faithfulness to God's Word, faithfulness to the Gospel. Now, this is why the Reformation is worth remembering. So we celebrate the Reformation because God's faithfulness in the past, as we've just sung, encourages us to be faithful in the present, to remember the Gospel. Now, remembering the gospel goes beyond just mentally recalling it. To remember means to let the gospel really take root in our hearts, to let the truth of the gospel sink in, plant deep roots, begin to grow and, and bear fruit in our lives. That, that's what it means to remember the gospel. Now, this is why Peter wrote his letter, 2 Peter. Now he says in verses 12 to 15, as uh, Yokping just read for us, he says, therefore I, always, therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, if you think about uh, ministry, you know, like preaching and things like that, actually, we, we don't say anything new. You know, if we say anything new, we, we're probably in trouble. You know, our job is not to say anything new as preachers of the word, but our job is actually to remind God's people of the truth. So, so you come in here every Sunday and, and you come in here to be reminded we all need to be reminded of truth that we already know because we need to know it again and again and again to let it, to, to let it really sit. You know, it's like, it's like putting a tea bag in a, in, in a cup of hot water, right? You let it steep. And, and the longer it steeps, you know, the richer the brew will be. I mean, that, that's really what the gospel is. You let it steep in the, in the cup of our hearts. So what does Peter want us to remember? Really, three, three things from this text, which are the three points of the sermon this morning. Number one, remember that Jesus is all we need. Remember that Jesus is all we need. Now, in verses 3 to 4, Peter says that God, by His power, 
has granted to us all things for life and godliness. All things. You know, all things. Which means that God has given us everything we need in order to live a godly life. We, we don't lack anything. And God has also promised us, by His grace, He's granted to us His precious and very great promises. Now, what has God promised us? You know, Peter says He's promised to rescue us from the corruption of the world. And this corruption is not an external problem. Peter says the corruption is due to what? Sinful desire. You know, it's actually an internal... The corruption of the world is not, oh, the world outside is so bad. But rather the corruption of the world is, wow, I'm, I'm really bad inside because of sinful desire. It, it's, it's an, it's an etern, in, internal thing. Uh, the corruption has been caused by a problem inside of us. You know, sin is not just outside in the world. Sin lives in our hearts. Our biggest problem is an inter, internal one. And our only remedy must come from outside of us, which is really what the gospel is. We have an internal problem, and we need an external remedy, something that comes from outside of us. And God rescues us from the world by changing our hearts, by changing what's inside of us. God has promised to change our desires so that we actually desire Him. Why? Because God has promised that we will... uh, become partakers of the divine nature. God has promised us godliness and glory. Now, what does it mean to be partakers of the divine nature? It doesn't mean that we will become gods, but what it does mean is that we will become like Him in His holiness and His moral perfection. So, so God has promised that to us. He's, he's given us all things we need for life and godliness. He's promised us that we will be partakers of the divine nature. Now, how does all this come to us? You know, how, how do these amazing provisions and promises come to us? Right, do, do we have the work to, to earn this provision and promises from God? Peter says these things come to us through the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of Him. Through, through knowing Jesus. And, and knowing Jesus means more than just intellectually knowing certain things about Him. No, there's a difference between knowing someone as an acquaintance and knowing someone as a friend, as a best friend. Right? So that's what Peter is saying. We need to know Jesus, which means that we need to trust Him, uh, trust Him as our only Savior, and, and follow Him as our only Lord. That's, that's what it means to know Him. And Peter says if, if we know Jesus, we receive God's provision, we receive God's amazing promises. Peter goes on to say that this Jesus calls us by His own glory and excellence. What does that mean, to be called by Jesus' glory and excellence? Peter is saying that we're called not because of our goodness, but because of Christ's goodness, His glory, His excellence. We're called because of that. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. And Jesus, on the cross, died the death that we should have died, taking on Himself God's judgment against sinners. So when we believe in Jesus, God forgives us, and He counts us as righteous, not because of our own righteousness, not because of our own goodness, but because of His glory and His excellence. 
on that basis, because His righteousness is freely given to us, on that basis, Jesus calls us. Now, this is the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the, the cornerstone of the Reformation. Now, Luther said that this is the truth by which the church stands or falls. Now, why, why is this doctrine so important? You know, this understanding that Christ calls us by His righteousness, not, not our own. Why, why is this so important? Because it really answers the critical question that each one of us will face. You know, the question is this, you know, how can I be right with God? How can you be right with God? How can I be right with God? Every single one of us will have to contend with this question. How can I be right with the God who made me? Now, this is the fundamental question of our human condition. And Peter says, it's not about us trying to be good enough so that God accepts us on the basis of what we've done, but we become a Christian simply by trusting in Christ alone to save us, relying on His righteousness, re relying on His merit, relying entirely on His grace. You know, if, if you're here, I want to ask you, I, who are you relying on? Take, take, some, take a moment to think about it. Who, who are you really relying on? You know, when, when it comes to the crunch, who do you trust? Or what do you trust? Who, who do we really rely on? Christ or ourselves. Luther was a devout German monk who constantly struggled with uh, a guilty conscience. You know, it seemed for Luther that he, he couldn't confess his sins often enough. He, he couldn't confess his sins well enough. He, he spent hours in the confessional booth, so much so that his, the, the priest who was hearing him would just get really, really tired. Imagine sitting for six hours with Luther kind of hearing his whole list of his laundry list of sins. In fact, Luther would, would go to confession and, and then after that, he'll feel that he need to go back again because he'll, he'll feel pride at having confessed so well. So it, it, was a, it was an endless struggle with a guilty conscience. You know, Luther struggled, I, I, can I be good enough to be accepted by this holy God? Can I confess enough? Can I, can I cover all my bases enough? Do all good things enough in order to be accepted by this holy God? So Luther appeared religious on the outside, you know, but inside, he actually hated God. Now, this is what he wrote. Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. Luther said, I, I did not love. Yes, I hated the righteous God. Okay, that one gives the punchline away. But uh, I hated the righteous God who, who punishes sinners and secretly... I was angry with God. You know, maybe some of us feel that way, right? We, we, we're trying to do religious things, but maybe deep down in our hearts, we, we kind of have this nagging suspicion that, hey, I, I, I don't think I'm quite good enough. You know, and, and a, you know, you keep doing that again and again, you try to live that way again and again. After a while, you start to actually detest God. You know, God becomes like a tyrant, like, like a boss, you can never please. You know, do, we, do we struggle with that? Do we, do we feel that, hey, you know, I, I don't really know God, but I feel that He's just trying to, He's out to get me. I'm never good enough for Him. Do we feel that way about God? Luther did. 
But, but as Luther studied the Bible, he came to understand that God is the one who graciously gives us the righteousness that we need through faith alone in Christ. Now, Luther wrote when he realized this, Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. Right, that, that sense of freedom and relief that comes from the righteousness of Christ. Do we know that? Have you experienced that sense of freedom and relief in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we trying to please God in our own strength? Because we've forgotten that Christ is enough. Have we lost our sense of joy? Because it seems as though we are trying to justify ourselves before God and perhaps before others all the time. You know, every success makes us proud of our accomplishments. Every failure makes us more disappointed and perhaps even leads us to despair. You know, we're, we're, sometimes we feel as if we're, the Christian life is a... You know, for some of us, we could feel as if the Christian life is, is a treadmill. We're trying to perform. You know, how do, how do we get off this performance-driven treadmill? Peter wants us to remember that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Now, Peter, Peter's calling us to turn away from any false hopes, any, any false confidences, and to find our true joy and rest in Christ. The true relief that we can find in Christ. Now, I, I love the quote from John Newton. You, know, you all know John Newton, the, the writer of the hymn, uh, Amazing Grace. So, you know, he died when he was 82 years old, and shortly before he died, he, he said this to a friend, you know, I remember two things. So at the end of his life, Newton reflected on his life and said, I, I remember two things. Number one, I am a great sinner. And number two, Christ is a great saviour. That, that's the rest that we have in Christ. May, may we say that on our deathbeds, that Christ is a great saviour. You know, God has met our every need through His Son. Jesus is our life, our light, our strength, our wisdom, our sanctification, our righteousness, our glory. His Spirit lives in us, empowering us to become more and more like Him. You know, we have in Him access to everything we need to live a life that pleases God. So Peter says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. And for some of us, the truth that Jesus is enough should put strength into our weak and tired hearts. You know, living the Christian life has been tough for some of us, and we wonder if we'll be able to faithfully run this race until the end. Some of us are troubled by unbelief, by fears, by doubts. You know, remember that Jesus is all we need. And, and be encouraged, because in Him, God has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. For some of us, the truth that Jesus is enough should challenge us, even rebuke us. You know, for too long, perhaps, we've been giving ourselves excuses for why we are not pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. 
know, maybe we say things like, oh, you know, I, I don't have time, too busy, uh, too much stuff to worry about, you know, kids, job, school, work, whatever. You know, we, we give ourselves excuses for why we're not following after Jesus. But Peter says, look, we, we have all things that we need. We have everything we need. Why do we feel as if we can't pursue Christ now? We have everything we need in Christ to live a life that's pleasing to God. You know, Peter says to us, we have no excuse. We have God's abundant power and provision in Christ. So, so follow Him. Follow Him. The second thing that Peter wants us to remember is to remember that grace motivates action. Peter says in verse 5 that it is for this very reason that we make every effort to grow in Christ. Now, what is this reason that Peter's talking about? It's because God has given us all that we need in Christ, and in the Bible, God's grace always comes before God's commands. Before God demands, He first empowers, enables, and equips. So God's grace shouldn't make us complacent or passive. His grace is supposed to motivate our action. His grace energizes us to work hard. Grace makes us diligent about growing as a follower of Jesus. Now, Peter says, for this very reason, because we've received God's grace, make every effort to grow. Now, what does growth look like? Peter says we will cultivate these eight qualities, you know, such qualities like these, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Now, when we look at these list of qualities, you know, Peter is not saying that we, this is a strict sequence, you know, as if we need to start with one, perfect one, and then move on to the next. Peter is not saying that. So we can't say that, hey, you know, I'm not loving because I'm still working on faith. You know, we, we, can't, we can't say that. Peter, Peter's point is not that this is a strict sequence, but rather Peter's point is that these qualities are interconnected. Now, these are interrelated qualities that taken together reveal what it means to be like Jesus. Now, this is what it means for us to be partakers of the divine nature. We become more and more like Christ. And these are some of the ways that we become more and more like Christ. It begins with faith. When we commit ourselves to trust and follow Jesus, a true saving faith doesn't remain stagnant, but, but it grows and produces good fruit. So Peter says to us, hey, don't, don't be content with mere faith. You know, don't be content with a profession that you made 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Don't grow beyond just mere faith. Don't, don't be content with the bare minimum in your Christian life. Peter says, because you receive God's grace, work hard to, to grow in Christ. Because growth doesn't happen automatically. So we need to feed our faith. But the Reformation recovered the great truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is Scripture alone that reveals these things to us, that reveals the Gospel to us. Now, these are the five solas of the Reformation. Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Now, now when the Reformers taught this Gospel, you know, grace alone, faith alone, those who opposed this gospel, those who oppose this teaching of the gospel, they said, hey, if you teach, the, if you teach that the, the salvation is by faith alone, grace alone, aren't you encouraging people towards licentiousness? Right? You're, you're telling people, hey, you can be saved 
simply by putting your faith in Christ, doesn't that lead people to then lose living? Because, hey, then it doesn't matter how I live, right? Because I can just, just say, hey, Jesus saves me, I'm safe, once saved, forever saved, great. Does, does the gospel lead to licentiousness? You know, this was a charge leveled against the reformers. It's a serious one. But I think people, when we say that about the gospel, you know, does it lead to licentiousness? We actually misunderstand grace. We, we have a wrong understanding of grace. The reformers rightly understood from the Bible that when, when God saves us by His grace, you know, He saves us as we are. Sins and all. God saves us as we are. But grace never leaves us as we are. God's grace transforms us. So, so God saves us as we are, but because He's gracious, He never leaves us as we are. Now, God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. John Calvin wrote that the gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue. You know, it's not just something that we say we believe. The gospel is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It is fully understood when it possesses the whole soul and penetrates the inner recesses of the heart. That's what it means to really know Jesus. Now, God's grace fuels our growth. You know, we, we begin to grow in virtue, which is just goodness and purity. We, we grow in knowledge. We, we know God more and more. We know His Word more and more. We, we desire to know His will more and more. We, we grow in self-control, which is just growing in obedience, growing in that ability to turn away from temptation and sin. We, we grow in steadfastness, where we patiently endure trials. There's less grumbling, there's more thankfulness, more faith in Christ. And we, we grow in godliness as, as our lives increasingly reflect the character of God. We, we grow in brotherly affection. You know, we treat one another as beloved brothers and sisters. We belong to the same spiritual family. That's what, that's what brotherly affection means. Now, we, we begin to demonstrate our deep affection for one another with how we speak to one another, how we think about one another, how we behave and relate to one another. You know, one, one of the best ways to discern whether you're growing in the faith is to think about your relationships, right? It's a good question to ask, right? How do I know if I'm becoming more like Christ? How's your marriage? How, how's your relationship with your children? How's your relationship with your parents? How's your relationship with other church members? How's your relationship with your non-Christian friends, your, your colleagues, your schoolmates? I mean, these are just really simple questions, but, but these questions are searching because they, they, they make us consider the health of our relationships and why? Because our relationships show whether we are growing in brotherly affection. That's how we know whether we know Jesus and are becoming more and more like Him. So how, how are our relationships doing right now? And of course, the crowning virtue that Peter highlights is love. That's why it's mentioned last in the list. You know, above all else, Peter says, someone who knows Jesus, someone who's received God's grace and is making every effort to grow in God's grace, what does this person look like? He will be loving. Love 
is the chief virtue. Everything else just kind of flows from love. So how do you tell if a, if a tree is alive and healthy? You look for evidence that shows that it's growing and bearing fruit. In the same way, growing as a Christian is a sign of life and health. Growing in these ways, these qualities is a sign of life and health. You know, when, when the Reformation happened and the Reformers, uh, you know, they were passing on all that they've uh, accomplished for the church, you know, they, they didn't mean for the Reformation to end. The, the Reformation was meant to be an ongoing project because the Reformers knew that the church and Christians, we, we need to continually grow spiritually. Now, that's a sign of life. We need to always be reformed according to God's Word, you know, which is one of the great mottos of the Reformation, you know, always being reformed by God's Word. You know, I, I, I pray that as we celebrate the Reformation, I, I pray that this spirit of the Reformation would really take root in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, that we would always seek to be reformed according to the Word of God, that, a, that we'll be willing to continually be challenged by the Word of God, that this Word will continue to shape us become more and more like Jesus. That's the spirit of the Reformation. It wasn't meant to be just a relic of history, but something that moves us in the present to live lives that are pleasing to God. Third thing that Peter wants us to remember, don't forget what Christ has done. Don't forget what Christ has done. What if we're not growing in the faith? What if we're not growing and becoming more and more like Christ? You know, have we kind of hit a, a wall in our Christian life? Kind of feel that we're not making progress? You know, it's possible to do all the right Christian things, like, you know, you can read your Bible, you can be at church, you can serve, and, and yet be spiritually ineffective and unfruitful. You know, we, we can know a lot about the Bible, but God still seems distant and impersonal. We can know a lot about the Bible, but we can also leave a trail of broken relationships behind us, damaged by hurt, unforgiveness, and coldness. You know, why aren't we growing to become more like Jesus? What, what's holding us back? You know, Peter diagnoses the problem in verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, Peter says we're, we're unfruitful because a spiritual blindness has come over us, and, and this spiritual blindness has been caused by spiritual forgetfulness. You know, my eyesight is very bad, and, and if I take off my glasses, you know, I'm so nearsighted that I'm practically blind. And, and I kind of relate to this verse, because, you know, because forgetting the gospel is like me trying to see without my glasses. You know, the whole world is a blur. You know, all your faces are a blur. I can't even see my hand in front of my face. When we forget the gospel, we, we lose our ability to actually look at life clearly. You know, the, the world, our experience of the world, you know, everything becomes a blur. We become, near, we become so nearsighted that we're almost blind. You know, we, 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 we lose the ability to look at life through the lenses of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And we are unfruitful, Peter says, not because we are ignorant of the truth, but we are unfruitful because we are forgetful of the truth. 
You know, and we, we can forget the gospel even while intellectually still agreeing with it. You know, we, we forget the gospel when we allow it to become disconnected from our lives. You know, it's just something that we believe, but that was a long time ago. But, but it, it becomes disconnected from how we live. There's like this gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live. You know, you see those signs on the MRT platforms, mind the gap. You know, mind the gospel gap. You know, mind the gaps between what we say we believe and how we actually live. Mind the gap. You now, what, what does this look like? You know, what does this look like? You know, maybe, maybe some examples could help us. You know, what does it look like to forget the gospel? Let me give you, let me, let's give it, let me give us some examples for us to think about. You know, we give in to our sinful desires. We, we live as though we are led by our sinful desires. Why? Because we forget that Christ has broken the power of sin in our lives. Another example, we exhaust ourselves trying to make a name for ourselves. You know, whether through our jobs, whether through our kids, you know, whatever, through our relationships. No, no, we, we exhaust ourselves because we're trying, we're trying to boast about our abilities, our accomplishments. We, we crave success we crave recognition. Why? Because we forget that Christ has given us all the riches of His grace. We, we forget that we have the riches of a restored relationship with God and, and a new identity as a beloved child of God. And, and so we, we exhaust ourselves trying to make a name for ourselves. Another example of how we forget. You know, you, you ever want to you ever had experience where we want others to think that we are right all the time? You ever experienced that? You know, we, we want to win every argument. We want to make sure that our opinions and our ideas are the most valued. You know, we, we desire the approval of others. We, we fear criticism because we want people to like us. We, we, we become self-righteous. But, but why? Because we forget that Christ has justified us. Right? So we, we go about trying to seek our own righteousness and try to justify ourselves, trying to make sure that people know that we are right. Why? Because we forget that Christ has given us free justification by faith alone. We, we forget that because of Jesus Christ, we stand before God righteous and that the one whose approval matters the most in the universe, He has given us His approval. You're right, you know, you are righteous. We forget that. And, and so we go about seeking our own righteousness. Let me give us another example. You know, we, have you ever hardened your heart against someone? Right? Have you ever found yourself behaving more and more coldly towards someone? You know, do, you struggle with, do we struggle with uh, forgiveness? You know, we find it really hard to forgive. We hesitate and are reluctant to forgive. But why? Because we have forgotten that God has been so generous in forgiving us through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we've forgotten how amazing it is that this perfectly holy God has forgiven us freely. And so we struggle to forgive others. Another example. You know, this is a bit... Ugh. Are you feeling it? I'm feeling it. 
You know, we, we grumble when times are tough. You know, we, we, we feel discouraged. But, but why? Because we forget that Christ is with us. That He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And we, and we forget that Christ has promised us to work through our trials to make us more and more like Him. You know, we, we get discouraged and lose our joy because we forget that Christ has wonderfully washed our sins away and that He's received us to Himself and He's given us the sure hope of glory. Forget all the blessings that we have in Christ. And also we forget. It's so easy for us to forget the Gospel. The Gospel becomes something that we believe in so intellectually, but our lives don't quite reflect the truths of the gospel. And Peter says to us, hey, don't forget. Don't forget that you've been cleansed from your former sins. Don't forget. So how do we keep from forgetting? Let's, let's think about, let's close by thinking about some, some things that will keep us from forgetting. I think, number one, take sin seriously. You know, every time we sin, recognize that that is spiritual forgetfulness. You know, we sin because we actually forget the, the riches of the gospel. Sin becomes more attractive to us. So take sin seriously. Recognize and repent of our spiritual forgetfulness. You know, ask God to help us live in the gospel. Go, ask God to help us to always see our need for the gospel. The second way to keep from forgetting is to listen to God's word. You know, and not just listen to God's Word as, as a means to kind of get more knowledge and information, but, but listen to God's Word with an open and humble heart where we're ready to be reminded of God's grace as we come to God's Word again and again, to be reminded of how God has been gracious to us in Jesus Christ. Another tip for keeping from forgetting is to sing. Sing. We need to sing like our spiritual life depends on it, right? Uh, this is why we sing on Sundays. You know, it, it's to help us to remember the truths of the gospel. So, so we need to sing with our whole hearts. God, this is true. And I sing because I, I believe this is true. And I, and I sing for the benefit of my brothers and sisters around me because as I sing out loud, I'm also reminding them that these things are true. So it would be weird if when you sing, you turn to the person next to you and sing to them. Would that be weird? I think that's what God calls us to do, to kind of sing to one another, to remind one another that these things are true. And we need to take the ordinances seriously as well. Uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. You, know, you ever think, why did God give us these two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper? They're actually means of grace given to God to us, given by God to us, uh, for, to remind us of the truths of the gospel. You know, in, in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, we actually see the gospel displayed, dying to sin, raising again to new life, that's baptism. In the Lord's Supper, we, we remember the death of Jesus for us. We, we partake of His body. We drink the cup that represents His blood. You know, we're, we're getting a fresh reminder of the truth of the gospel. And we're celebrating the Lord's Supper next Sunday. So, so why not take this week to, to reflect on the gospel so that when we come and celebrate together, we're reminded of the truths of the gospel for our lives. 
And we need to regularly remind one another of the gospel as well, like all of us. Every time we meet, whether on Sunday, whether in our CGs, one-on-one, over coffee, over a meal, those are wonderful opportunities to remind one another of the truth of the gospel. This is why God has given us church community. This is why we can't do the Christian life on our own, because we need the reminders of our brothers and sisters to kind of encourage us, to give us strength, to spur us on to walk and live in Jesus Christ. So after the service, think about what you're going to talk about. Yeah, you can talk about the week, talk about sports, whatever, talk about your work. But, but try not to leave this place without at least encouraging someone in the faith. You know, even a simple question like, hey, how can I pray for you? you know, how can I remind you of what Christ has done? How, how can I share a story of God's grace to encourage and strengthen you? you know, we, we need to remind one another of these things. Finally, we can learn from church history. You know, we, as we study church history, as you read about church history, we were encouraged by stories of how men and women in the past have been faithful to the gospel. You know, we don't run the, the race of the Christian life alone. We we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who testify to the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. He is the true hero of the Reformation. You know, this is why we celebrate the Reformation. It is a reminder to us that the God of the gospel is our greatest treasure. And it, His gospel is worth living for. His gospel is worth dying for. Last word goes to John Calvin. I have the slide up. God is the fountain of every good. Unless we establish our complete happiness in Him, we will never give ourselves truly and sincerely to Him. Now, the Reformation reminds us that God is our true joy. We can know Him through Jesus Christ. So give ourselves unreservedly to this God who is our true joy. And may we find in Him true rest. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you. You indeed are our true joy. And Father, we confess many times we forget, we turn away from the gospel in our hearts and we turn to other things. We seek other joys. And Father, we come to you and we we pray for your grace. We pray that you would help us to worship you alone. We, We thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you that you have saved us entirely by your grace through faith alone in your Son alone. We pray that we would glorify you alone with our whole lives. We ask that you strengthen us, encourage us, help us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Indeed, let us and sing the song of response. All I have is Christ. <laughs>